of all of the places in Jerusalem, this is probably one of the most beautiful, the most quiet, and has an atmosphere which seems to me most sacred. This is now believed by many scholars and many churches to actually be the place where the Savior's tomb was located. And this is called the Garden Tomb. And the Bible says that very near to the place where the crucifixion took place, there was a garden, and in it was the new tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, which he made available for the burial place of the very Son of God. We're going to take just a few minutes to set the scene for those tremendous events and review in our minds some of the things we've been talking about during our tour of the Holy Land, mentioning just some of the highlights. It's important to realize that just a few weeks before Jesus was crucified, he did something which so infuriated the leaders of the people here. In fact, I don't think he could have done anything more than, than this to have aroused their great anxiety and hostility. He actually raised someone from the dead. Turned out to be his very good friend Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha. When he learned that Lazarus had died, he deliberately waited for a total of four days before he made any effort to raise him because it was thought by many of the Jews that the spirit stayed close to the body during that period and he might come back to life anyway. But he waited for four days and then he asked his father, can I raise him? And when his father said, yes, I give you the power to raise him, he just stood there and wept and said, thank you, Father, thank you. And that's when he, he said, open up the grave. And Mary and Martha were very hesitant because he had been dead so long. And when they opened the grave, he just said, Lazarus, come forth. And there were all of the official mourners there. There were many witnesses to it. And the moment that they had loosed Lazarus, and they could see that he was normal and well, I want to tell you a flood tide of information came into the high priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the leaders that he literally had raised the dead. Now listen to their reaction. Now all the people will believe, and surely they will raise up other leaders than us to take our place. See, with them it was strictly political. And when they saw the possibility of their losing their positions because of Christ's popularity, they determined to kill both him and Lazarus. So we think that Jesus took Lazarus with him on a tour that went up into the land of Samaria, then down into the district that is beyond the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized. And he stayed there until it was time for the feast of the Passover, which would have been his own 33rd birthday. Slowly, slowly he made his way up that 16-mile road until he came to Bethany. And there in the house of Simon the leper, who apparently had been cured or healed, otherwise they could not have held the supper there, 
they spent first the Sabbath day quietly, and then when the Sabbath was passed on Saturday night, they had this lovely dinner in which Lazarus was present with Jesus and with his disciples. And after the custom of the times, they, they would open their homes and people could come by and just kind of see what they were eating, <laughs> you know, kind of look around. And it says quite a host of people came passing through like a caravan watching them eat because they wanted to see Lazarus. And more came to see Lazarus than did Jesus. But the word spread all over Jerusalem. He is coming. Get your sick ready. He will heal. The healer is coming. You know what that does to the general population. And so the very next morning, as Jesus prepared to make his entrance on what we call Palm Sunday, and he got on the back of that little animal, a beast of burden, not a panoplied uh, a warrior's horse or anything like that, but this humble little creature, he got astride of it, it had never been ridden before. It was a, a young colt, and he was taken toward the city. The people came streaming out across Brook Kidron and over that Roman road that came around from Bethpage and Bethany to welcome him, put their cloaks in front of the little donkey, spread out palm fronds, and spread flowers and so forth, and began singing songs of praises as they hailed the prophet from Nazareth, the prophet from Galilee, the son of David. And the leaders immediately came to Jesus and said, you must stop them from saying these kind of words that are reserved for the very Messiah. Jesus looked at them and said, were not these words of praise to come from them? These very stones would cry out. They didn't know how to respond to that. So he went on into the city, dismounted, and went up into the temple area. Now he looked around the temple. It was being prepared for Passover. Uh, the money changers and everybody were in place. He didn't do anything about it today. He just went over where there were a group of Greek converts to Judaism. And he started to talk with them. And uh, the Spirit came on him and he said, As you know, Unless a seed is planted, unless a seed sacrifices its life, there cannot be a plentiful harvest. And I am that seed, and from me and my death there will come a great harvest. And all of a sudden, a terrible depression came over him, and uh, he was shaken. Just talking about it shook him, and he, he talks to himself, he said, what is the matter with me? What do I want to ask the Father to do? To take this cup from me? When for this very purpose I was born? He doesn't realize that within just a couple of days this is exactly what he will do. He will ask the Father to take the cup from him. He is already shaken as he comes close to this terrible experience that he is being required to go through. And um, finally he said, Father, Glorify me thy son. And a voice suddenly was heard, and it said, I have glorified thee, and I will glorify thee more. And all the disciples heard it. And Jesus turned to them and said, The Father didn't need to speak out loud. He could have talked to me without that, but he did that for your sakes, so that you would hear him. And as the day ended, 
they wended their way two miles up over the top of the Mount of Olives to the house of Bethany, and that's where Jesus spent the night with his disciples, with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Next morning, it's Monday. Monday, he comes back into that temple square filled with resolution, and he storms into that just as he did three years earlier, and he dumped over all of those money changers' tables. He loosed the birds that were there for sacrifice, and... Uh, just uh, created temporary consternation. The first time he said, you have made my father's house a house of merchandise. This time he said, how dare you do this when my father's house is a house of prayer. And they were quite disturbed that he would say, my father's house. But once he had quieted everything down, he said, all right, bring your sick. Bring those who are deaf. Bring those who are blind, those with crooked limbs, and I will heal them. And he did. And uh, he spent most of that day healing the sick. And you can't imagine the anger, the hostility of these leaders. As one of them said, uh, what can we do with him? And another one said, what are you doing with him? Well, we're not doing anything. Well, we've got to think of something. That was the spirit of Monday. Now he went home that night again and stayed at Bethany. He did not stay overnight in Jerusalem. His life was in danger, so was that of Lazarus. They stayed very close together. Tuesday is the last day of his ministry. This is the big day. And he comes back once again prepared to face the ultimate, the end of his ministry and any challenge that the leaders of the people may have for him. The first ones to confront him was the, were the servants of the high priest. His approach was this. By what authority do you do this? Jesus said, I will ask you a question. By what authority came John the Baptist? Was he from heaven or from among men? And they held a little conference. What do we say? Many people there had been baptized by John. John was very popular. If we say he's from heaven, Jesus would then say, then why didn't you believe his testimony when he said that I was the one that the scripture said should come to save you from your sins? Can't say that. If we say he's from men, all oh, these people will be outraged because they love John and they believe he was a prophet. So they said to Jesus, we cannot tell. And he said, and neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So they went off by themselves to meditate. The next group to come were the Sadducees. The Sadducees were those who presided at the temple. They were descendants of Aaron, but they did not believe in the resurrection. That's how far they had apostatized. So they tried to trap Jesus by presenting to him kind of a puzzle about a woman who married seven brothers successfully one after the other, <laughs> successively. And they said, now, who will she belong to in the resurrection? Which they didn't even believe in. Jesus said, you do error not understanding the scriptures. For in heaven there is neither marrying nor giving in marriage. So they went back and they said, did we get him? They said, no, you didn't get him. You don't even know what he's talking about. <clears throat> so then... They finally sent over a lawyer. 
he said, I, I know a, a good lawyer's question. <clears throat> so he, he approached the Savior in a very patronizing way. And he said, Master, tell us, which is the greatest of all the laws? Now, there were over 600 of them. It won't matter which law he says, there would be great dispute. Jesus did something magnificent. He dipped down to the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy. He looked out at the audience and he said, Hear this, O Israel. This is the first and great commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, might, mind, and strength. Then he went clear over into the 19th chapter of Leviticus and said, And the second is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The lawyer looked at him in sort of a perplexity and amazement, and he said, Master, thou hast well spoken to love God and thy neighbor. All the law and the prophets hang on these two laws. And Jesus looked at him and said, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. In other words, if you're humble enough to, to catch that and to admit it, keep coming, keep coming. Now, as he went through the rest of the day, they had not been able to trap him in his words. He now knows that this is about the last time he'll be able to warn the people. And so he does. And he said, I have to say unto you, there will not be one stone left upon another of this glorious temple in which you worship, nor of the walls of the city. Then he went over to the side of the temple square and looked out from the pinnacle and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you as a chicken gathers, as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Ye only stone and kill the prophets. Now your house is left unto you desolate. And he departed. He started up toward Bethany and he only got up a little ways when the apostles asked him to rest and explain something to him. They said, you keep talking about going away. When are you going to come in power? And that's when Jesus sat down with them and gave them the whole 24th chapter of Matthew. He explained how Jerusalem would be destroyed, the Jews would be scattered, but in the latter days, everything would be restored again and the gospel of the kingdom would be preached to every nation, tongue, and people. And then they went up over the hill to Bethany and now the Savior was prepared for his great ordeal. I'll just hit the highlights just to remind us of what happened. Because there is a considerable possibility that he was crucified on Thursday rather than Friday. If he was crucified on Friday, then he just rested on Wednesday and Thursday would have been the Passover. There is considerable evidence that the Passover may have been eaten on Wednesday rather than Thursday. And if that were the case, Jesus would have remained in the tomb three full days and three full nights, as the scripture had indicated. But whichever day it was, we know that he made, made preparations so that in an upper room of a certain house, he met on the day of the Passover in what we call the Last Supper. And there he met with his disciples. 
the Savior from the very beginning was quite depressed during this supper. And right at the very beginning, he said, one of you will betray me. Nobody dared ask questions about it, and the supper went on. And uh, pretty soon he went through a series of ceremonies. He said um, that he wanted to wash all of their feet. And he um, also explained to them the necessity for him to suffer and to be lifted up. And during that conversation, you may remember, Peter said, you know, we wouldn't let anything happen to you. We would die first. And Jesus looked at him and said, you know, Satan is going to sift you like wheat. And before the cock crows tomorrow morning, you will have denied me thrice. And of course, that must have puzzled Peter because he knew he wasn't going to deny and be the Christ. Then uh, about this time, he suddenly says once again, one of you will betray me. And John, who was sitting right next to Jesus, was urged by Peter to ask him, who will betray you? Do you know? And as a result, Jesus um, responded and said, it is he to whom I give the sop. And so John probably was the only one who knew that it would be Judas. And he handed the, uh, took some bread, handed it over to Judas, and then said, Whatsoever thou doest, do thou quickly. Uh, Judas must have been puzzled by whatever it was, but he excused himself almost immediately and went out in order to be able to lead the servants of the high priest to this place where they were then meeting so that they could arrest Jesus. Earlier in the scripture, it had suggested that Judas didn't actually believe Jesus. When Jesus was testifying concerning himself uh, earlier, just before the transfiguration, the Bible says, and there were those present who did not believe, and we think that it is referring to Judas. In any event, you'll remember Jesus became very depressed, but he wanted to pray to his heavenly Father there for his disciples. And so he gave the great high priest prayer of John 17. And he said, Father, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on their words, that they all may be one with us, Father, as thou art in me and I in thee, that we may all be one. And then after that he said, I want to go to Gethsemane, or at least to the Mount of Olives to pray. And that's when they left. And we don't know whether they went around Temple Square or where they went across the square and down. Depends upon where the place of meeting was. But they ended up in the garden, or rather in the Grove of Olives. And it was called Gethsemane because there was a press there, primarily we think for the olives, making the olive oil, and that's what Gethsemane means. And Jesus went a stone's throw away from the pathway and said to eight disciples, now you watch here. Then he went further up quite a ways with Peter, James, and John and said, now you watch here. And then he went just a little ways away and John recorded that he just fell full on the ground. Didn't kneel by a rock or anything. He just fell on the ground and said, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take this cup from me. And after he prayed a little further, he came back, found the disciples asleep, awakened them and urged them to watch more carefully. And they heard him say a second time, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take this cup from me. And now, as we've mentioned a little earlier, 
Our Heavenly Father was going through an agony in this hour himself. He knew how terrible this was. And uh, yet he could not interfere without completely destroying the whole plan of salvation. And so he sent an angel to minister to the Savior and to explain to him how important it was. And we don't know what he said, but we know it was very persuasive. He probably said, you don't have to do this, you know. You have your free agency. But our Father knew from the beginning that you would. Therefore, you were the, the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. If you did not go through it, through with it, all of the things you and Father created together would go back to their substantive element. All of this would be lost. And that's when Jesus said, Father, thy will be done. And he sweat great drops of blood. The agony of that hour was so terrible that he describes it in another place as having caused him to suffer and would that he not drink the bitter cup. But then he said, Glory be to the Father, I did partook and made the proper, proper preparation for the children of men. It was shortly after that that he went down, awakened his disciples and said, They are coming. And you could already see the lights coming down from the temple square as the servants of the high priest and others were coming to arrest them. Most of you remember the, uh, the uh, circumstances that occurred. Judas came up to Jesus and said, Hail, Master. In the darkness, the soldiers would not have been able to identify him, but Judas could. And Jesus said, Judas, wouldst thou betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And immediately the soldiers began to seize Jesus to bind him. Peter drew his sword and uh, hit the uh, ear of Malchus, sliced off his ear, and Jesus told him to put up his sword and heal the ear right on the spot. That didn't impress anybody. Must have been a surprise to Malchus. Saw his ear on the ground. Next thing you know, he's all right. But in any event, uh, all of the other disciples became frightened and fled. Little boy stood there trembling, wrapped in a sheet. We think maybe he'd come to warn the Savior. But when the soldiers started to seize him too as one of the disciples, he just fled and left them holding the empty sheet, and he went off naked into the night. Uh, nobody knows who the little boy was, but Mark's the only one to mention him, and because Mark was of that age, we think maybe it would have, might have been Mark. They bound Jesus and took him to the house of the former high priest whose name was Annas. He was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. And after he'd satisfied his curiosity, they then took Jesus to the house of Caiaphas. And they began to interrogate him. They began to challenge him. And uh, some very unpleasant things happened there. And uh, then they may have put him down into one of those dungeons that we visited to hold him for further interrogation and trial later in the morning. Peter had followed the officers that had been arresting him, and so had John. John knew the servants of Caiaphas, so he was able to get inside the courtyard. Peter didn't know anybody, and so John made um, preparation so he could come in. As he came to the gate, a person standing there said, Oh, you were one of his disciples. And Peter said, I am not. So he got inside the gate. And while he was standing by the fire and Jesus was being led along the porch, Somebody said, you are his disciple. He said, I am not. 
moment later someone else accused him and he, he denied it a third time. He looked up and there was Jesus walking by and Jesus just looked at him and Peter went out weeping. Jesus was tried the next morning, another illegal trial, and then he was taken to Pilate because the Jews could not kill a person without the consent of the Romans. And so they charged him now, not with blasphemy, as they had charged him in their trials, they now charged him with um, raising up treasonous pretensions against Caesar by calling himself king of the Jews. Well, he really hadn't said it just that way. That's the way they said it. And so Pilate said to him, Are you the um, king of the Jews? And he said, My kingdom is not of this world. Well, Pilate said, I can't deal with that. And so um, he, he, he went out before the leaders of the people and said, I, I find uh, nothing wrong with this man. And uh, they, they said, Then uh, you're no friend of Caesar. We had this conversation going back. Pilate saw this was getting very sticky, and so he said, I'm going to send you over to Herod. After all, you're from Galilee. So he sent him to Herod Antipas, who had killed John the Baptist. Jesus wouldn't even talk to him. And so Herod Antipas uh, had his soldiers abuse him a little and send him back to Pilate. Now Pilate has a real problem. His wife said, I've had a bad dream. Don't have anything to do with this man. There's something wrong here. And so he went out and he tried to plead with the people. He said, I always release somebody to you. Let me give you Jesus of Nazareth and we will go ahead and execute Barabbas, <clears throat> who's guilty of insurrection and murder. And they said, no, release Barabbas and crucify Jesus. They said, but I find no fault in him. He washed his hands. They said, crucify him. The blood be upon us and upon our children. So he says, be so, so be it. You crucify him, but uh, I find no fault in him. And so that's about the way it ended. Uh, he said, I'm going to chastise him, however. And they always did that before they crucified them. So he turned them over to the soldiers, and they took him over into a hall, and they first whipped him with the cat of nine tails. When Jesus fell trying to carry the cross, he was just so terribly weakened with this flogging that he has received, which is capable of killing people. At the end of each thong, there's a little piece of bone. It can just tear the flesh apart. And so when they'd finished that, then they put a crown of thorns on his head, and then they beat the thorns with sticks to make the, the thorns go down, press against the skull. And as they brought him out, all bleeding and staggering from pain, Pilate made his final last gesture to save him. And he said to the leaders of the people who were standing there in Latin, Ecce homo. Behold the man. Aren't you satisfied? Isn't that enough? And they all shouted, crucify him, crucify him. So they took him to be crucified by the Romans, but on their initiative and demand. And so they took him and brought him... Um, to the place of the skull, the place of execution. On the way, he was supposed to have carried the beam of his cross. He couldn't manage it. And when he fell, why, they had Simon from Cyrene pick up the beam and carry it the rest of the way. When they got here, they usually laid the beam and the, the tree, as they called it, together. And then they laid him across it. 
the nails were put first in the hands, and then the more sure nail mentioned by Isaiah was put into the wrist, and then the feet were nailed. You can't hardly believe the excruciating pain that goes with each one of these blows. And then they gradually, slowly lift the cross up, and all that weight comes hanging down on those lacerated hands and those penetrated feet. And as the Savior hung there for three terrible hours from nine o'clock until noon, they came and made fun of him. They said, you could heal others. Why don't you come down and heal yourself? He knew that they would say that. And uh, others ridiculed and made fun of him. And then at 12 noon, all the sky became dark. The ground began to tremble. People began to become frightened. As a matter of fact, it was so it was so much of a quake that the very veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. So this was no minor little affair. And there was a great deal of consternation and fear among the people. But he hung there for another three hours. And finally, right toward the last, when the anguish of it was becoming almost unbearable, he looked down at his weeping mother below him and John, his beloved disciple, and he nodded toward Mary and he said, Mother, behold thy son. And John, behold thy mother. Which was like saying, John, take care of her. Then a few moments later, the terrible thing happened to him that he didn't even know would occur. Our Father knew that the very ultimate suffering of Jesus on the cross would be withdrawing his spirit from him. And so suddenly he withdrew all of his support from Jesus and left him suspended in all the eternities by himself. And it call, caused Jesus to cry out in the Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We don't know how long that lasted. I don't think it was very long. But when the Spirit of the Father suddenly surged back into the Savior, he knew he had crossed uh, the last hurdle in all this long series of suffering. And he said, It is finished. It is finished. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then looking up at his Father, he said, Father, into thy hands I now commend my spirit. And he died. At that moment, Jesus became the Christ. And his spirit departed on a mission mentioned by Peter. He no longer stayed with his body. It was left hanging on the cross lifeless. Because it was near the end of the Sabbath day, and the no one was allowed to remain on the crosses after the Sabbath day, they always killed the people who were on the cross. They saw that Jesus was already dead, but to make sure, a spear was thrust into his side and water and blood came out. Then it was that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, both members of the Sanhedrin who had not agreed with any of this, asked for the body of Jesus, took it down off the cross, removed the nails, got the hands loose, then got the feet loose, gradually lowered that body, tenderly carried it down from the place of crucifixion, brought it into the garden where Joseph of Arimathea had his new tomb. They washed the body, they washed the wounds, 
they put the some semblance of cloves and other things around the bodies, the aromatics they often used, wrapped it up and then put it in the new tomb, rolled a great stone over it which was later sealed by the at the request of the Jews themselves so that they wouldn't steal the body and take it away and claim he was resurrected. And then they all departed for the Sabbath which had begun. Now the three days that the women waited, they couldn't do anything until the, the time had, uh, the Sabbath was over and, and it was possible to go back the first day of the week. And so it was on what we call our Sunday that they came before daybreak. And uh, then it suddenly dawned on them. They were going to finish uh, preparing him for his final condition in burial. And uh, they hadn't remembered to bring any men to roll away the stone. But during the night, there'd been a terrible earthquake and the two Roman guards had fled for their lives. They were so frightened. In fact, there was a death penalty for any Roman guards who would leave an, an assignment like that. But they had left. And so when the women got here just at daybreak and looked into the tomb, there were two personages there, glorious personages they after remembered, but they just simply said, he is not here. He has risen, as he said he would, from the dead. Only thing, the only thing they remembered was the fact that he's not here. They'd never got the rest of the message. And they ran to the disciples and said, he's gone. He's gone. He's not there. And so John and Peter ran to see if someone had disturbed the body. And when they came to this tomb, John got here first. He was faster than Peter. He looked inside, didn't go inside. And then Peter went in and saw what was there. The grave clothes were there. Uh, the headpiece was lying by itself. And so they departed and went away. But Mary Magdalene, who had been the one to carry the message first of all, she outran all the other women to carry the message. And she had run all the way back with Peter and John. And she was just so brokenhearted. She loved the Savior. He had cured her of some terrible problems that she had had up, when, up near Galilee at Magdala. And so she just leaned beside the tomb and wept. And then she became conscious of somebody that was standing beside her and in her tears she just saw that it was there and assumed it was the gardener and said, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him and I will carry him away. And the person standing beside her said, Mary. She suddenly recognized the voice. She looked up. It was he. Oh, she said, Rabboni. And he said, touch me not. I have not yet ascended to my Father in heaven. But go to my brethren and tell them that I ascend to their God and to my God, their Father and my Father. And so she did. She went with her message and she said to the disciples, I saw him. He is alive. And uh, they didn't believe. Then all the women came. He'd appeared to them. Then Peter came. He'd appeared to Peter. And I tell you, that must have been a glorious thing to have him say, Peter, it's all right. It's all right. I forgive you. I understand. And Peter said, yes, he's alive. 
And then just a little later, he appeared to all the disciples. From then on, he appeared to many. Sometimes he appeared to 500 members of the church at one time. He appeared to the disciples up at Galilee. He ate with them. He ministered to them. And he taught them elements of the gospel which we think were recorded, but we, have, we don't have it. Some of our finest scholars have been searching for those teachings of Jesus following the resurrection. In any event, after 40 days, he met with his disciples here in Jerusalem. And he walked with them, withholding his glory, no doubt, because a resurrected being can do that, as Paul says. And he went up over the hill that he'd crossed so many times toward Bethany. And they went just over the top of the hill, and that is where he suddenly ascended from among them. And the next thing the disciples knew, there were just two glorious beings standing there. And they said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken from you in heaven shall come in like manner in the latter days and shall appear among you. And so the physical ministry of the Savior here upon the earth was terminated until the latter days. And this is the latter day. This is the time when the Savior Jesus Christ has appeared again in the earth to certain ones to prepare for the time when he will appear to the whole world in glory. And every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that he is indeed Jesus the Christ. The great message of this garden and this tomb is that he is not here. He has risen.